This is Aaliyah S. King. What's up? This is Aaliyah and you're listening to Writing Practice. One of my favorite topics ever. It's something that I've taught in classrooms. It's something that I've taught in one day workshops. It's something that I've taught with my coaching clients. And it's simple. How to pitch magazines. Digital, print. Um, This is an era right now where it's a really good time to get into the writing game. And that's something that most people don't say because it's not easy. But if you have some simple, basic tips, there's a really good chance that if you're a halfway decent writer, you can get published. There are some things you have to know, like no simultaneous submissions, and there's thoughts on finding an agent, and there's some basics on how to pitch. My number one is write the story only you can write. And although it sounds complicated, it is possible. So this episode is all about pitching magazines, both digital and print. It's one of my favorite topics, and you'll get a lot of insight here. So enjoy. So here's what we do here. I'm going to introduce myself, and if you don't know who I am, you will. So I don't, I say this every time, and I think people sometimes get it confused because I don't want to be rude, but this hour is about writing. Um, I think though, I think, I don't think I would be doing myself any favors if I wasn't honest about other stuff that's going on right now that kind of have a lot to do with writing. On Sunday, I had a seminar here at Third Space about owning your story and wanting to make sure that whatever story you tell is yours to tell. It's not an easy thing to do. Um, If anyone has questions tonight about that concept of how do I own my story, we're going to talk about that. Um, It's not easy to do. Sometimes we hold on to stories for a long time and don't share them because of what our parents might say or what our siblings might say or what our children might say. Um, So I had that seminar this week on Sunday. And at the start of the seminar, people were coming in and people were getting checked in. Uh, My daughter was actually helping me check folks in um, before the the class started. And this young man walks in. Oh, Shane's here. And I immediately recognize him. His name is Derek Lewis. He was my student when he was in the ninth grade uh, at Alexander Hamilton High School in Elizabeth, New Jersey. And it was all I could do not to literally pass out because Derek was my heart. Derek had a lot of issues. Um, Derek was trying hard to stay above water and it was not easy. And I just had a soft spot for him. And I hadn't seen him since I left the school. And for him to walk into this room, y'all, skin all shiny, bright and beautiful and job and girlfriend and life, I just was a wreck. So it made me change up what I was planning to talk about. I wasn't planning to, I was planning to talk about uh, the memoir, but I couldn't do anything until I talked about Derek because he was sitting there in the front row. Like there was no way I wasn't going to be able to share that. Um, So I had to share that moment. Um, And the person who was there that had hired to do photography, hey Keith, he got, he captured this really 
great picture of Derek and I when I saw him and hugged him to death. Um, so the strangest thing happened. I posted a photo of me and Derek, very sweet and warm to me, but it's just me. And I, I told the story about how I would see Derek. Um, he would get kicked out of class and he would come to me and I would talk to him and try to get him to go back to class. I have many Derricks in my life as a teacher, many. And I have many stories about heartbreak and about heartwarming experiences as a teacher, many. Um, but for some reason, this particular story I told about Derek really connected with folks and it just had a life of its own. 24 hours later, it's got 10,000 likes and 3,000 shares and it's like nothing I've ever experienced. Now, of course, when it comes to like how things actually go viral, whatever that means, this is not that. But for me, just little old me in my Facebook world, this is pretty, it's pretty unusual. I've gotten some really beautiful messages on DM um, of people who want to share what they feel and how they've had those same experiences as both student and teacher. So that might be a story I need to write about. Um, we'll see. Okay, so I can take questions about whatever. I can, we can stay on the topic of owning your story or writing a memoir. Um, it's completely up to you. Let me see. Anyone here? Oh, oh, okay. Let me see. Oh, that's good. That's good. So if you have questions, is this Instagram or Facebook? Instagram. Um, if you have questions, I'm here. And I expect you to ask them or get out of the room. No, I don't mean that. You can just, you can just hang out. We'll figure it out. I'll ask my own self questions. I'm not above it. Um, Hey, Deb, Shannon's here. Hey, Shannon. We have a mutual friend and he's sitting right next to me. Um, Shane, we don't have any questions. No one. People are joining, but no one's asking any questions. So we just make some questions up like you did last time, <laughs> but you didn't tell me. I don't know what you're talking about. So last week, Shane decided that he was gonna just make up some questions and then read them to me as if other people out there had asked them. And I didn't know that. And I was really excited about answering these questions because they were good. He was able to make me really believe um, that they were real questions. Oh, Deb says, what part of the writing process do you enjoy the most? Hmm. I enjoy finishing. I don't enjoy any part of writing, which sounds all like extra, but I really don't. There's never a time when I'm working on a book or a project where I'm like, this is so exciting. I like it. Never. It's always just, it's always just, I want to get it done. And I think that probably the most exciting, I know what the most exciting process is. You're all the way done. You send the book to the publisher, the editor does their thing, and then they send you the book back. Right? So don't, I love you. So they send you the book back and it's in like this, you know, it's like paper. And, oh, Deb, I'm going to answer that too. So they send it to you, they send it back to you and it has all these colors in it. They send it to you with a, pen, a pencil, a colored pencil, like green or blue. And the red ones are notes from your top editor. And the blue ones 
are tops, are, edit, are edits from the copy editor. And then the green ones are from lawyers. And that's my favorite part of the process because the book is done, checks have cleared. Now all we've got to do is get this baby onto the bookshelves. So I just sit down with it and I go through it one last time. And um, I love that part. Uh, with my first book, I had to really fight really hard because there was a main character in the book who was Haitian. And the person he was based on in real life was Haitian. And they told me I couldn't make this person Haitian. And I changed everything. I changed his name. I changed so many things that I thought it was fair to keep him Haitian. And they were like, no, it's too close. There's not enough Haitian rappers for him to be Haitian. He has to be Jamaican. And I had to go through the entire book and change all the sock passe and all the Haitian Creole I studied, all of it to Jamaican slang. And I was very upset. So um, although I still enjoy the process, that part was kind of hectic. Um, I thought I saw another question. Shane, did you see another question? On uh, do you outline or just go in? Oh, that's such a good question. Did you put that in there? No, that's Deb. Deb's amazing. Deb is awesome. Huh. Uh, well, I'm having a class on how to outline your book. So that's pretty, I feel like you DM'd her and told her, <laughs> ask her about outlining. That's a little too perfect. Because I literally have a class coming up on August 11th on how to outline your book. And you can see it on Eventbrite. I outline. Um, it's just it's just better for me. I need to outline. I need to see. I need to know what's going on. Renisha is here. She can tell you because I spoke to her on the phone when I was doing like these free consultations. I spoke to her about her book. And I like to I like to block it out. I like to see it. When I sit down to actually write, I don't trust my brain to work with me. My brain might just be like, I don't feel like it. But if I have an outline and I can just look at it and say, all right, today's the day that homegirl gets murdered. Boom. Let's just go and hurry up and murder her off. Okay, so now it's tomorrow. Today's the day of the funeral. Boom, go. Um, that's the only way I know how. It doesn't have to be a strict outline, but I have to have some type of blueprint. Um, mm, okay. Uh, shoot, there was one on Instagram. Do you work on multiple projects at once? I don't, wait, let me just see who said that. Ruben says, is that going to be an online session too? Shoot, it should be. Ruben, thank you for reminding me. I think I might have to go back in and make that online too because I can't, don't you think? Why isn't it? We, we, we can talk about that later. We'll figure that out. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, Shannon said hi. Shannon. Hey, Shannon. So, uh, Do you work on multiple projects at once? Is that Eunice Diaz? That is from Miss Mary. Oh, Miss Mary. Okay. Uh, no. I mean, I don't work on multiple creative projects at once. I am a freelance writer and I spend all day writing on multiple projects so that I can eat. So I definitely work on multiple projects, but I don't think that's what you meant. I think you're talking about like creative stuff. Like today I had to write a review of an app and I had to, you know, map out some story that I, I have to do tomorrow. Um, so every day is multiple projects for me, but like if I'm writing a book, I can't write two books at once. I don't understand people. I'm jealous of anyone who can do that. Um, I guess I could, but I wouldn't be able to do it very well. And if and if you were like my client, my coaching client, I would not work with you on two books at the same time. If you could work on two books at the same time, you don't need help from anybody because that's pretty complicated to turn your brain on and off to two different things. Um, no. Uh, Shane, was there something else on there? Because there's a question on Facebook too, but I wanted to... Manisha said, 
Do you ever wonder how your characters from past books are doing? Sometimes as a reader, I wonder about characters and how their lives are after I finished it. Is that weird? That's so not weird at all. Um, I think that all the time. I absolutely think that all the time. Um, again, with my first book, it ended on a cliffhanger and there was a sequel and that one ended on a cliffhanger as well. I don't have any desire to write a third book, although I have been asked to do so. I don't have a desire to do that, but I definitely, definitely think quite a bit about what happened. And I like to think about, I like to think it's happy endings. What I do want, Renisha, I've always had this dream of writing a prequel to Platinum because it follows these five women who are married to rap artists and they were all with them before the money. Um, and I would love to see that. They were all with these men as like teenagers and young adults. So I have had the idea of doing a prequel and kind of creating the world they were in prior to these rappers becoming big and famous. I haven't given up on that. Maybe like a young adult novel. Um, and Deb agreed with you. She said, I do that too. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, Eunice is asking exactly what she mean by an outline. Eumis. Hey, Eunice, I'm sorry. Get it right. Um, she was my student. Um, let's see. By an outline, we mean what is happening in this book? Beginning, middle, and end. What's happening? Chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. What is the order of operations for this book? So for me, if you come to my apartment right now, you'll see 30, 27 index cards that represent 27 chapters of my book, book six, that I'm not done with yet. And it literally says one, X, Y, Z, two, X, Y, Z. Like it literally outlines the entire book. I don't mean an outline like what you would do for a research paper with Roman numerals and stuff. That's not what I mean when I say outline. I'm talking about mapping out every single part of the book, whether that's by scene or by chapter or whatever it is, you know what's happening from the beginning to the middle to the end of the book. Is that a clear answer? I'm asking you. I believe so. Okay. I don't know what um, you want me to be talking on. So. Uh, I mean, I want you to answer my question. <laughs> I answer your question. Um, when you're working on a project, Deb says, how do you keep the shiny new ideas from distracting you? I don't have a lot of sympathy for that, Deb, for distractions. Um, I know what you mean. It's hard if you're working in a project. It can be hard to, uh, oh, Miss Mary said the same thing. She gets distracted. It can be hard to stay focused, but that's where a routine comes in. You can't be a writer with a good idea. Writers with good ideas don't get published. The only writers who get published are those who have a solid writing practice. A writing practice gets you published, not an idea. So if you just have a bunch of ideas, then the new idea is gonna distract you. If you have a practice, that means you sit down Monday, Wednesday, Friday from two to four, you'll get your book published. It's much less likely for you to get distracted if you have a strong writing practice. And I end up saying that every week because it's important. Your practice is way more important than your ideas. If I have to choose between a writer who is dope with the best ideas ever and a writer who's okay, but is really, really committed to their writing practice and they sit down three days a week, I'm repping that book. I'll work with you on the writing itself. 
Because if you're committed to sitting down three days a week for two hours, then you're committed to getting better. Writers get better, but writers that are not disciplined do not. So the way you keep the shiny new ideas from distracting you is make sure that your writing practice is solid. You should be sitting down at a minimum, three days a week, two hours each time, at a minimum. My hair is just looking really weird today. Sorry, y'all, but it's Jerry Curl-esque action. I don't know what happened. Did it ring? Sorry, that's how you keep the shiny new ideas from distracting you. Have a strong writing practice. And also, if you get distracted, that's fine. Just sit there through the distraction. I don't care if you get distracted, that's fine. Nobody's gonna get through a whole entire book without being distracted. The point is to not move. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, two to four, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, eight to 10. Whatever it is, protect your writing practice and you will find yourself getting less distracted. Um, Eunice says, hi, Greg. Um, do you find journaling, writing on a notebook to be more beneficial than a computer? If you're talking about personal journaling, personal writing, I use notebooks just because I love paper and I've been in love with paper since I was very small. That's just a that's just a personal preference. If you're talking about creative writing, I think either way for journaling and writing, I think it's really what you what feels good to you. I can't write a book on I can't hand write a book like when it comes to writing a book, I have to use Microsoft Word or Scrivener or whatever. Um, but I definitely journal on paper. Um, I have been using the same journal for a very long time. And I just keep buying them over and over because I'm that person. This is my journal. It's from Poppin. And it's velvet and it's pink and it makes me happy. And it's very, very small. So I run out and then I have an excuse to go buy a new one over and over and over again. Um, so for journaling and making lists and writing, blah, 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 I need a notebook. But for the actual heavy lifting of a book, it's definitely a computer. I think uh, one of my favorite writers, her name is Tayari Jones, and she writes, she types on an actual electric typewriter, like for real manual joint. Um, not going to be able to do it. I'm just not that committed to the process. I have to use a computer. Um, Greg is on here. Hi, Greg. I hope you're well. I miss you. James says, wait, did I miss something? I see James. Okay. Wait, what about on Instagram? I didn't see. I'm on Instagram. Okay. Okay. Sorry. How do you decide if a story will have a sequel or it's over? Okay. I'll tell you a funny story. I don't know why I keep going back to my first book, but I wrote my first book and I was rocking back and forth towards the end because I didn't know how to end it. Um, and I was just really frantic. And my agent's like, gotta hurry up. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting. And I was like, I don't know how to end this book. So I ended the book with a cliffhanger, but I didn't give any thought to how it would actually be resolved because I wasn't thinking about that. I just went to end. So it was like, okay, throw this out, do this, kick this person here, do that. Oh my God, freeze, the end. <gasps> so I, I'm on a tour and people are like, so what happened? And I'm like, mm-hmm, nothing. And then my agent calls me and says, hey, so you got a book deal. And I'm like, I didn't, what book deal? For the sequel. Platinum's doing really well. They want a sequel. And I was like, oh my God, this is 
is great. This is beautiful. And then I was like, oh, shoot. I don't know how to wrap up what happened. There was no conceivable way that I was going to get from the end to platinum to the beginning of a sequel. Um, so that was pretty traumatic for me. So the, to answer your question, sometimes you do know. You know, I had to figure it out and I got my sequel together and the book came out really well and I really love it. Um, but that was kind of risky to end it with a, a cliffhanger and not have any idea. You never know how it might end up coming back to you, to haunt you. So I wouldn't do that again. In general, I don't think I'm the type to, I don't think I'll ever write a book that has a sequel. I kind of like the idea of just closing a story and moving on, unless it's a series. If it's a series, I'm in, but I'm not sure if I'm built for that. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not so sure if I'm built for that. Um, yes, Deb, Scrivener for the win. Um, I love Scrivener. I don't like to talk about it too much because it's expensive and it's hard to use. I used to teach a class specifically on Scrivener, um, but I don't anymore. I don't know why I don't, I don't know. I just feel weird about, Scrivener is a, is a, is a acquired taste. And if you're not built for it, it can be really overwhelming. So um, Renisha says, do you feel like, do you feel like there's room for everyone to bring forth a book? Are there certain genres you feel are too saturated? That's me being scared to write because I feel like, okay, so here's the thing also, I want to say this as nicely as possible because I do have a tendency to be a little harsh. You're not supposed to be writing for the market and you're not supposed to, if you can't sit down and write without thinking about the room for everyone, then you probably shouldn't be sitting down to write. It's not time because you're not writing. That's not why. You sit down and write, Manisha, to write the book that you want to read. You, you cannot write for a particular audience because you can't predict that. I wrote this random post yesterday that 10,000 people click like on. I couldn't have predicted that. I didn't write it and say, let me write this heartwarming piece. 10,000 people will love it. I had no idea. And if I sit down today to be like, let me write another post that 10,000 people will like, it's not going to happen. So if you can't sit down and write without thinking about your audience, then I can't co-sign you sitting down to write at all. I hope that doesn't sound harsh. You and I have talked about this. Um, when you're ready to write and the idea is right for you, you won't care about, is this genre too saturated? You won't care. You just do it because you have to do it. My book number six that I'm writing right now, the genre is not something I'm familiar with. It's not a genre I've ever written in before. Don't care. The idea came to me and I said, I don't care how many times this has been done. I'm doing it. And I'm going to finish it because it's a book I want to read. And then hopefully there'll be enough other people like me who also want to read it. So no, there's no such thing. Everybody can bring forth a book. Yes, but you know that already. No, there's no genres that are saturated. What kind of answer did you think I would give to that? For real. Did you think I was going to be like, yeah, girl, don't write mysteries. Saturated. Everything is saturated. Do you would, you would you say that to a musician? I do jazz music. Ah, jazz music, that's so saturated. No, you're not going to say that. You make the music you want to make. You write the things that you want to write. 
it will find its place. If you're doing this, thank you, Donna. I shouldn't do that. Um, if you're doing this because you want other people to read it, you got a long, rough road ahead. You got to do it for yourself, and you know that. But if you needed me to say that, I will say that as well. Um, let me see here. Let me just that makes total sense. Thank you. Okay, what comes first for you, plot or character? Uh, I... Deb, I don't, I do not ever plan them separately. Does that make sense? Like, I don't ever have a plot idea without the characters in my head or vice versa. I guess technically the plot might come a hair before the character does, but they kind of intertwine. Um, mostly because the three novels, my fiction has all come from real life in some way. So the plot and the characters were already put together for me. Uh... But if you're trying to come up with something from, I think technically I'm supposed to say plot. Stephen King would say plot. Um, and then the characters come. But for me, it's, it's almost always enmeshed. And also, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Once you start thinking about, do I need to work on the plot with the character? You're starting to write yourself into a corner. Just sit down three days a week for two hours and write what comes out. That's it. Whether it's a plot or a character or something in between or nothing but scribble scrabble. You know, sometimes I was I will sit down during my writing time and put, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I effing hate this. This is the worst. I'm never gonna write again. I'm five books in and book six won't come out. I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate it. Type it. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. My daughter's eating a pop tart. I hate her too. I hate it, I hate it. There's crumbs everywhere on the count. Just okay, two hours is up. All I did was write nonsense. Don't matter. I sat down and I had my writing practice. Because you know what? It won't always be that way. I will always, at some point, get back to the book. So don't ask me about plot or character. Don't matter if you're sitting down three days a week for two hours. Are you showing me something? Okay. Um, I missed one. Oh, I was just going to ask about that. I hold back because my plot and character seem way too close to my reality. Crystal, what's wrong with that though? Are you holding back because you think that means it's not good writing? Or are you holding back because you want it to be? Oh, I know. So Crystal's saying she doesn't feel it's like really creative enough if it's too close to her reality. That's that nonsense. Our brains will make up so many things to keep us from getting these books done. So many things. Our brains will say, this category is all just, everybody does this. This is romantic. This is mystery. This is horror. Our brains will say, this is not creative. This is just what you did yesterday. This is why you need a writing practice, Crystal. Because whatever you did during your writing practice, it counts. Be proud of it. Keep it moving. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm sort of embarrassed looking back 10 years at how much of myself is in one of my books. I don't know why no one stopped me. I guess I didn't ask enough people that actually know me to read it. Because now if I'm asked to do like a reading or something, it takes me a long time to find a page where I'm not talking about someone that's very, a struggling writer from New Jersey, also a teacher from East Orange with a stepdaughter who's five. Like I had no, I did not change anything up at all, period. 
Um, but so what? Whatever. Book's done. Did really well 10 years ago. I'm good. Um, the only thing that is not creative, you said it doesn't feel creative enough. I'll tell you what's not creative enough. Not writing at all. That's literally the only thing that you can say to me that I will agree that's not creative enough. A blank page is about the only thing that's not creative enough. Um, hmm. Um, first, I'm gonna answer this question about software. Uh, even though I just said I wasn't gonna talk about it, I guess I will. I really love Scrivener. I do. I have written several books on Scrivener. Um, it has this index card process that just makes me really happy. I love the fact that it can go to, from my phone to my tablet to my laptop and it syncs pretty well. Um, it's expensive and it's a little heavier than it was 10 years ago when I first started using it. But I suggest you get the free trial. Get the free trial, Scrivener, play around with it and see um, if it works for you. Outside of that, I've never used any I might use some index card apps just if I'm like on the run or road trip or something. But outside of Scrivener, I don't use anything else um, besides Word, I guess. Uh, what did you? What did I just see? What are your thoughts on self-publishing in the ebook industry? Mm, 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 mm. Self-publishing in the ebook industry. Uh, Mm. I think that I think it's very different than it was 10 years ago in a good way. I think it's a lot easier for people to do it and to do it well. There was a time where just even getting a quality book cover to would be difficult to do on a budget for self-publishers. And now, you know, it's not that way. A lot of it is more equalized now. It is not for me. And I'm not making any apologies for that. I used to. But that's not my lane. I'm not a business woman in that sense. Um, when I finish a book, I want to then go to Barnes and Noble and see it on the shelf. I do not want to look at a fonts for titles. I don't want to hire a photographer. I don't want to look for stock photos. I don't want to make sure the pagination is right. I don't want to work with an editor. I don't want to pay someone. I don't want to do the printing. I don't want boxes of books coming to my house. I don't want to drive around asking people to stock my book. I don't want to do that. And there was a time that I used to feel guilty, feel guilty for that. You know, people would say, oh, you're supposed to be motivated, you're supposed to be a hustler. You could be making more money. Da, 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 da. You could be doing this, you can be doing that. And I mean, I know that that is the case, but I think it's also important to know what your lane is and know what makes you comfortable. Um, I can't, I shouldn't say I can't, but I have not yet gotten to a space where self-publishing will work for me. It's hard enough for me to just get the words down and write the end. I have a lot of respect. Um, I collaborated on a, a book that was self-published called Raised by the Mistress. And I saw what this woman went through to get this book out. Um, it was incredible. It was incredible. She did her own book tour. She did her own pagination. She did, she hired an outside editor, um, the printing, the distribution. She did all of it. Not this girl. What up to Jamila Barnes? You're dope. I'm not doing that. I'm gonna write a book. I'm gonna get that advance and I'm gonna go sit down and start writing the next book. So those are my thoughts. Um, I don't have a lot to share on that topic, um, but the, it couldn't be for me, at least not right now. Maybe there'll be a time when I can do that. Um, <laughs> 
So Ronald wants to know, uh, for your smaller gigs, blog writing, articles, stuff like that, how do you figure out what you're worth and what, what you're negotiating for price? For what smaller gigs? Yeah, like the blog posts, articles. Oh, like um, I actually, I actually just this year in 2019, this has become very simple for me. Just this year, it has finally become simple for me to do that. And that is because someone told me a year or two ago to set an hourly rate for myself. How much is an hour of your time worth? Period. And that was so hard for me to do. I was like, $10 an hour? You know, a thousand? Like, it was so hard to really sit down and think, what can I get done in an hour? What is an hour of my time worth? What can I get done in an hour is one thing. But what's an hour of my time worth to someone? What's it worth to me? So I said it, and the first time it came to me where someone asked me for something, and I could say, okay, this is my hourly rate. This is the hours it'll take. Boom. I couldn't do it. I put it, I like sliced it in half before I positioned the person with it because I just didn't feel like I was really worth that. And then the person was like, okay, great. And I was like, oh, so I sold myself short again. Not until 2019 have I been able to say, so the answer to your question is I set an hourly rate. I am worth X, Y, Z for an hour of my time. And then when someone asks me to do something, I take my hourly rate, multiply it by how long I think it's going to take for me to do it, and that's it. Sometimes the person will say, are you kidding me? That's too much. And I say, okay. And then sometimes there's some negotiation, and I go up or I go down. But that's it. It's very simple now. I have one rate that I believe I'm worth for an hour of my time. And... I multiply that by the hours that this thing will cost me. And that's it. Very simple. And if the thing that I'm being asked to do, if it seems ridiculous for that person, then it's probably ridiculous for me to do it. If you think it's crazy for me to give you this rate for what you're asking me for, I probably shouldn't do it anyway. It's hard for me to say to do that, but 2019 has been my year for doing that. And it's been really helpful. From Ghana. Yes, that's kind of, I understand what Crystal is saying. My poetry is so visceral and yes, it's sometimes real life with a twist, but other times it's not. But if I write an angry poem about a man, for example, people have checked on me to see if my marriage is okay. I'm like, dude, it's creative interpretation. It's shadow feelings. It's empathy. It was inspired by. Oh, <laughs> and then it says, no need to read this out loud. Just wanted to, uh, with Crystal. Well, how are you going to say that, Ghana, at the end? You're supposed to put that at the top. No need to read this out loud, but, oh, geez. Um, I do want to say something about that, guys, since I just blew your spot up. Uh, again, that's what my class was all about on Sunday. I shared some pretty intense stuff that I've had to write about lately that people have said, is everything okay? And it wasn't okay. So sometimes it's inventive when people are going to check on you. Sometimes it's real. And people are going to check on you. So I get that. And I guess we're just not, unlike Ghana, like I don't perform the things that, you know, people read it. I don't perform it. So I would be really, it would be really difficult for me to write about things and then perform them because it's in real time. So people are going to have something to say. But it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Um, hmm. Mm, Shane. She's, Tabera said, is it worth it to publish a book of poems? 
why wouldn't it be? I don't understand. Why? Because it's not something that we see on every bookshelf, except we do. Why wouldn't it be? It's worth it to publish anything, anything, anything. Um, I've heard that <laughs> about poems and poetry before. And I'm always baffled. Like, is it worth it to write children's books? Like, why do we put certain, I'm assuming you're saying that like fiction or like memoir or biography, we have these like overarching things that are supposed to be the real books. I'm assuming that's what you're bringing to the table when you say this, because how is somebody gonna be in my comments? <laughs> well, that's new. Support your local artists before they blow. Okay, Chris Simons. I don't, I guess I'm really making it, mom, because somebody is in here acting. Um, Tabera, if you want to write a book for profit, you in the wrong chat, my friend, because we not, this is not, sorry. You can't, you can't, you can't look to any book to talk about profit. Any, unless your name is Stephen King. There's no, there is no way to predict the money side of any book. Um, none. So you can make, you can self-publish your own poetry book. You can get a deal to write. Is poetry a huge genre? No, it's not. So if you don't want to write it because you want to write these poems, then don't write it. You damn sure can't write. You can't say, I want to write this book of poems because I need to make some money. Ain't nobody ever in the history of ever, ever said that. Cause that's not a thing. You know what you also can't say? You can't say I'm gonna write this book. You can't say I'm gonna write this novel cause I wanna make some money. That's not a thing. That's not what we do. Writers don't like, it's so much luck involved. That's why when people say, I don't know if I can write this book because my mom might say blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that is a luxury problem. Can you get chapter one done first before you talk about what your mom's gonna say when it's on the bookshelves? You don't know what's gonna happen. Write the book. You don't know what's gonna happen. So there's no sense of sitting up here talking about, I don't know, so-and-so. My neighbors might have something to say about this book. Yeah, well, guess what? If they do, you will be skipping to go give them this book because you will be so happy you got a deal. You ain't gonna give no good dams about, you gonna be like, mom, don't turn to page 182. But look, mama, I made it. I got a book. So no. Um, I think Chris just made a really good point. He says books, music, film is a great way to leave proof on earth that you existed. So just do it for that reason alone, Sabera. I said this last week. I wrote a whole book, as the millennials would say, a whole book in 2010 because, no, 2011? I don't know. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. 2012. I wrote a book because my five-year-old soon-to-be stepdaughter stayed with us for the summer, the summer that I married her dad. And I just, there were a lot of things happening with her mom and with her. She and I were becoming very, very close. And I wrote a book about our experiences and everything we did. It was a memoir. And I sent it to my agent when I was done. He was like, this is so cute. And I was like, we're sending it out? Nah, we're not sending this out. Eh, I still have it. Um, it's called Dear Summer because her name is Summer in the book and it exists and it chronicles my life. And every year that goes by, I'm so, I'm more and more and more happy that it's there. 
Sky, my daughter, she gets to have this 250 page book about one summer in her life. Her sister gets to read about her mom and her big sister 10 years before she even existed. You know what I mean? Like that, Tabera, is bigger than just, oh, I might not make money off of this. I'm, I'm not making no money off that book. It's never going to see the light of day. I don't care. Number one, finishing it and working on it was the precursor to me finishing books and working on them that actually did get published. And number two, it's here on this earth, like Chris said. It's going to have just as long of a shelf life as any other book I've written. Maybe not as many people looking at it, but it's still going to have the same shelf life. And I'd rather Sky have it than it not be written at all. Write the thing. Figure out who gets to see it later. Just write the thing. Um, Tabera says, I have many poems. Oh, yeah. So do it. Do it. Do it. Send them, send them out to an agent who specializes in poetry. Maybe they'll take you on. Maybe they won't. It's worth a shot. They might just say, hey, let's see. This publisher over here likes work from people like you, whatever that might look like. So there's no use in just holding on to them. See what happens. You don't get them published. Does that make them not good? Of course not. They're still yours. Um, you still got to write the thing. Hey, I got a question. A okay. I'm listening to your question. How did you decide how did you decide that coaching and teaching writers was an avenue for you? Um, I think I always knew that because I started out as a teacher. So thank you, Chris. Um, I started out as a teacher. So that always came naturally to me. Uh, I wrote this post on Facebook a while ago about Darnell, my high school boyfriend, and how I edited his love letters and God bless him. He would let me and I would red mark them. This is 11th grade. And I would, Kenny just left there and I would give them back and he would rewrite them, clean them up, and give them to me. Um, and he did this like all through high school. He knew he had to redo his love letters to me. So I've been an editor since forever. And I think it was just a natural, it's a natural extension for me to do both. Is that an answer? Mm-hmm. And it's satisfying. I like to see people complete their work. Um, I mentioned this last week too that someone I work with on their book, when the book came out, it debuted on the New York Times bestsellers list, which is something that like one percent of all writers will ever experience. I'm one of the one percent, and I don't talk about it for some reason, because I, I fear like other people will say, well, why can't you do that for me? But it was such an amazing experience for me to see this happen. This, this book that I saw in its infancy that I coached through, you know, that process and seeing it become this beautiful thing over the course of two years um, is very satisfying. Almost as satisfying as my own stuff. Ouch. Um, let me ask myself a question. When are you going to finish your book? Um, I don't know. I've been working on this book for a very long time. And it's not easy. It is a difficult book to write. It's not pouring out of me like the other ones I've written. Possibly because it's not based on a true story. This is my first novel that is truly 
my imagination only and truly characters that I'm creating. And I can't fall back on a girl having freckles and being from Jersey um, and loving hip hop to just fill in conversation. All these people are people I don't know. All these people are doing things I don't know anything about. So um, it's kind of scary this time around. It's kind of scary. Is that Wallace Truesdale? It says WJ Truesdale. I wonder if that's Wallace. If it is, what up? Madison Ave. Um, okay, we have 11 minutes. Um, okay, so that's what's going on. Who's this guy she keeps talking to? <laughs> that's Shane. So Shane is the voice of God in this room, which is an actual term. I thought he was just saying that, like, for himself, just making that up, which I thought was a little bit weird. But it's actually a real term for, like, a person in the room that you can hear but not see. That's what the voice of God is. Um... Oh, okay. I see. I see. Any genre I can't imagine myself writing. Funny you should say that. Uh, <laughs> did you tell Deb to say that again? No. Did you DM her? Deb did you get a DM from God? Deb is a spy. Because um, there's only two that I don't write, and I may have the opportunity to write one of them. So one is erotica, and one is children's books. Those are the only two that I never really imagined myself writing, and an opportunity to do one of those um, is in my lap right now. So we'll see. Um, I mean, there's really no genre that I can't imagine. It's just those are the only two I've never had a chance to. Um, but fiction, nonfiction, uh, whatever. Um, I've even done some like romance stuff, uh, but not like, you know, I like everything else. Um, I don't really have a, I like the, I like writing. I'm gonna say one more thing about that and then that could be the end. My agent one time said to me, he said, you do realize that you are unusual as a writer. And I said, no, you know, how? And he said, most writers have a lane and they're in it, they write fiction they're in it. They do celebrity memoirs, they do 30 of them. They do nonfiction investigative journalism, they do that full time. You do them all and you don't turn a switch on and off to do anything. I call you and you're in Memphis doing an investigative report about Al Green and then the next day you hand it in and you turn around and do the edits for a novel. I have never thought about this is a genre and this is a genre. I didn't get into writing because I wanted to write about X, Y, Z. I never knew that. I just wanted to see my name. I just wanted to see Fialia Eskin. And I wanted to write stuff. I literally just wanted to tell stories or to write stories. I never thought about what they needed to look like. It just, I just wanted to do it. I just love the joy of finishing a project. Notice how I didn't say I love the joy of writing because I don't. But I love the joy of finishing a project and releasing it. Um, not necessarily any particular format. So, all right, that's it. It's nine o'clock. I've been told that I have to have a hard out at nine o'clock. Oh my God. Thank you guys for being here. I appreciate you. I'm super tired. It's been a really long day. So I'm gonna go to sleep now. <laughs>